I want you to grab your Bible and turn with me to the book of Haggai. If you're uh, new to Grace Point or you're new to the Bible and, and you say, uh, did you just sneeze? Did you just cough? It's, it's Haggai. It's a book of the Bible. Uh, if you need to turn to the front and look at the table of contents, you have freedom to do that. If you're new to the Bible, if you split it in half and then take the part that's in your right hand and split it in half again, you're getting close, kind of thumb around in there until you find Haggai. Now, I've got great news for you, and, and some of you it may be scary news. We are going to go through the entire book of Haggai together. But the good news is, in my Bible, that's only two pages. But it's going to take two parts. So we'll start it this morning, and it's a two-week sermon, but instead of keeping you 14 days, we'll stop today, and then we'll pick up next week. But like every week, hopefully, uh, you need your Bible. Today, you're really going to want to be right there in the Scripture with us as we go verse by verse through what God has for us today. This is the time of year where there are new beginnings. It's a new season. A year has ended and a new year has started. And it's kind of that fresh start time. And we can begin to think about all the things that we hoped to get done last year that we didn't get around to. And and we can begin to think about the things that we'd like to focus in on this year. I, I don't know if you can think of one or two or three things that maybe you'd hope to get done last year that you didn't even come close to. But it reminds me of this saying about procrastination. Procrastination is an art. It's truly an art. I was going to work on perfecting it, but I think I'll try that tomorrow. That's a joke. That's about as good as they get. If you don't laugh there, it's going to be a long morning for you. But see, there's these pressures, demands, expectations that push in on us from all sides. It begins to assault our schedule. Do this, be there, finish that, call them. It seems like every person wants something from us. Friends, family, our employer, our school, our church, clubs that we're a part of. And soon there's very little left to give as we run out of energy and time. This morning I want to start part one of of a message entitled, Reordering Your Priorities. What is important to you and what order are the things that you value in your life? We can find ourselves rushing through life, attending to the necessary things, the immediate, the urgent, but all too often the important are left in the dust. Our problem is not the volume of our demands. Our problem is not our time or lack thereof or our energy or lack thereof. Our problem is in our values or our priorities. What is truly important to us? Our values, our priorities, they're reflected in how we use our resources, how we use our time, how we use our money, how we use our talents, how we use our energy. These are the things that we can look to as being important to us, what we spend on. Many of us, we say, well, God, God is number one in my life. God's a number one priority, but our actions lend to something different. It says, you know what, maybe God's going to be somewhere else, a little bit lower on the task list than number one today. Well, 25 centuries ago, a voice was heard calling men and women to write priorities. Haggai knew what was important and what had to be done, and he challenged God's people to respond. In 586 B.C., the armies of Babylon had destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. The temple was God's house, the place of worship. It's the symbol of his presence and his relationship with them. But in 538, 
the king decreed that Jews could return to their beloved city to rebuild the temple. So they traveled to Jerusalem and and began the work. But they forgot what their purpose was. They'd been exiled and their temple, the place that symbolized their relationship with God, was destroyed and it was in ruins. And when they came back, God told them to rebuild that temple, rebuild the symbol of their relationship. And and they kind of started on it, but things began to happen and they lost purpose, they lost focus, and they began to drift. That brings us to the setting. If you're taking notes, we're going to look at Haggai chapter 1, verse 1, and it talks about the setting of this real-life story. And the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shiltel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Isn't that just exciting news? You could just take that home. That's just inspiring right there. What in the world do I need to know that for? This is telling us that this is a message from the Lord given to a specific people on a specific day and time. This is not just some made-up story. This is a real-life account. It's setting the scene of what we're about to read together. Giving this basic data of who it's given to and and when. And we're going to talk about some of the importance of that next week. But this is a real-life story. And then it moves on in verse 2, and it's talking about the delay, or the cause of the delay. God had called them to to build his temple, to build his house, but they began to delay. And and verse 2 talks about this. They, They became distracted, and they were discouraged, and maybe defeated. Here's what verse 2 says. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be rebuilt. It's, it's not a good time, God. This is, this is not an opportune moment. You're catching me at a bad time. This is not the time, God, to rebuild your house. They started out doing God's work. They started out following his assignment, but they got distracted. They were faced with some things that caused them to dilute their purpose and their focus. And, and, and one of them would nef- uh, definitely have to be the economy. Their economy was tanking and and things were not moving like they used to move and crops were not growing like they used to grow and and things weren't as plentiful as it used to be. And so moving into another phase of a building program just didn't quite seem very, very good at that moment. The economy is just too bad. Sound familiar? Another distraction to them, a reason for their lack of interest in building the house of the Lord was their fear of the Samaritans. There were people who brought opposition to them rebuilding the temple. And and God's people saw that others didn't really want this rebuilt. It wasn't high on their list. And so they didn't want to rock the boat. And they didn't want to cause problems. And they didn't want to face the ridicule of doing what God had called them to do. So they kind of slowed down on that pace. How often, friends, do you and I start out with good priorities we start out doing what God has called us to do. Maybe it's at the, the beginning of a new year, or maybe it's at, uh, uh, right after a significant commitment you've made to God. Think back to the time when you accepted Christ as your Savior, and you were gung-ho, and you were passionate following the Lord, and, and you were going to charge hell with a squirt gun, no matter what it was, and you're just ready to go. And God called you to do some radical things in obedience, and you began to change things in your life, possibly. And But after time, things began to kind of wane 
Or maybe God has spoken to you in years past about something specifically and, and you begin to move in obedience, but God hasn't changed. You haven't really desired not to obey, but life has just happened. Work gets tough. School gets hard. Relationships just get messy. Pressures and demands and expectations and tasks, they press in on us from all sides. But remember, the problem is not our schedules. It's not our time or lack thereof. Our problem is in our priorities. Sometimes we, we can clearly see that our priorities are all out of whack, but we just pretend like everything's okay. That's interesting to me. It's not that we were ignorant that our priorities were all messed up. We can clearly see that our priorities are askew, but we live like everything's okay. Why would we live that way? I think sometimes we live that way because the price that would need to be paid to change our priorities is too great. We're not willing to to pay that price. Sometimes it, it may be that if we would change our priorities, the fallout of other people, who it would affect them, We don't want the pushback of how our change in priorities would affect their life. And it could be that we're just complacent. I know my priorities are not what they should be, but I like it this way. God says, it's time to wake up. I have a word for you, says the Lord. Now, I should have given you a fair warning. Uh, The message from the word of the Lord today is one of those that some of you have told me of kind of like stepping on your toes. I've had a couple of you say, Pastor, we like it when you step on our toes. That's good. And so if you don't like today's message, you just blame them. They said that you liked it. Uh, but, but the heart is that I, I love you enough as a friend and I love you enough as your pastor that we need to hear this hard truth from God that brings wholeness and health. And we're going to look at it this week and next week, and so it's not totally resolved in one week, but we need to see what God possibly has to say to us from this book in the Old Testament. I think there's a huge correlation between what they're going through and what we go through. You see, for them, the temple, the symbol of their relationship with God, the outside was up. Now, I'm not a builder and I'm not a scholar, but the frame of the temple was up. The roof, for a lack of a better term, was up. The siding was up. The bricks were up. The windows were up. The mailbox was up. The sign was up on the outside. Everything on the exterior was up, but the inside was left in ruins. The plumbing wasn't done. The electricity wasn't done. The the furniture had not been brought in, and it was not populated with worship. Oh, no. It was undone. It was in ruins. It was many excuses of why not to worship, and so... God is calling them to this problem of not finishing the tabernacle, not finishing the temple, the place of worship. Well, for them, the temple of the Lord was a place. For us, what is the temple of the Lord? The Lord dwells in us, in our heart, in our soul, in our spirit. When I receive Jesus into my life, He dwells in me. The Holy Spirit fills my life and I become a living temple. I'm the living stones in the temple. And God is saying, could it be that we have not rebuilt the temple, the symbol of our relationship with God, because it just wasn't in good timing? That begins to sting a little bit, so let's move on. 
the Lord gives a word on delay. The Lord speaks out about this, and it's in verse 2 through 7. This is what the Lord Almighty says. The people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you, yourselves, to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruin? In other words, is it time for you to bring in paneling and luxuries and wiring your home theater systems in your own house and then let my temple be in ruins? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says in verse 5. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thoughts to your ways. I mean, he just comes out and says, hey, you're building your own life in luxury. You're taking care of all your creature comforts. You're addressing everything that you would like to see happen in your game plan of life. But yet my relationship with you, my temple where I meet you is in ruins. You've taken care of the outside, so people kind of see that it's there. But you and I know on the inside, it is demolished. It's still in ruins. I like how the message paraphrase puts this passage. I think it's in your outline there. Look at it with me as I read it. Sometimes we need to hear a paraphrase to let it sink in in different words in our mind. Take a good, hard look at your life. Think it over. You've spent a lot of money, but you haven't much to show for it. You keep filling your plates, but you never get filled up. You keep drinking and drinking and drinking, but you're always thirsty. You put layer after layer of clothes on, but you can't get warm. And the people who work for you, what do they get out of it? Not much. A leaky, rusted out bucket. That's what. Take a good, hard look at your life. Wow, Lord, this is kind of harsh. I mean, give me that love and mercy that endures forever, we talked about. What, what is this stuff? You see, they, they were exiles, and when they returned from Babylon, they were set out by the Lord to rebuild the temple. They began the right way, but then they drifted from it. See, God had given the Jews a direct assignment. He said, build my temple, build the symbol of my relationship with you. Make that a priority, do that first. And 15 years later, they still had not rebuilt the temple. I mean, this just gets me. I mean, can you imagine they came back from, from being in exile and, and, and they uh, began to start the building project and did a little bit of work, but then they kind of got distracted and, and the one-year mark came. Should, should we start rebuilding again? No, let's just kind of relax. I mean, we just, we just got back. The, the two- and three-year mark came and passed. The five-year mark came. Well, shouldn't we rebuild the temple now? Well, I mean, this is kind of like a five-year anniversary. Let's just throw a party. Well, well, the tenth year came. Well, this is a, a special anniversary. We can't just start building the temple of the Lord now. And, and 11 and 12 and 13, 15 years. And God says, you'll never rebuild the temple. Your priorities are messed up. You're paneling your own houses and you're not building the house of the Lord. You see, the harder the people worked, the less that they had. Because they were focusing all of their work, all of their effort on themselves. This temple of the Lord was the focal point of Judah's relationship with God. 
but it was demolished. And instead of building their relationship with God, they built their own homes, their own dreams, their own life, their own agenda. See, failing to honor the Lord and spending all of their energy and possessions on themselves, they began to make excuses. The economy's not good. The political environment's not good. This is not a right day. And they began this losing game of pushing it off and pushing it off. What could this possibly have for us today? Maybe it's a reminder for us to take a good hard look at our life. Well, what's going on in our life? How is the temple of the Lord in your life? Your relationship with God, the priority that you put on God, are you seeking Him? Are you investing in Him? Your time, your talent, your treasure... How are you investing in God? Some of us, we need to kind of have a wake-up call. And when we wake up in the morning, are we seeking what God would have us do for the day? Or we've already got it planned out. Some of us, when we come up against a major decision, are we asking God for His guidance and His wisdom? Or do we already have it figured out? When we come into a time of worship, are we here just to kind of punch a time card and, and do what God requires of us? Or are we here saying, God... Well, what would you have for us today in worship? God, do I even think to ask those questions or do I just kind of fit you in in my life and other areas? The Bible would call us to take a good hard look at our life. Then the Lord gives some instruction in verse 8. Verse 8 of Haggai chapter 1. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. I love this. God doesn't make it complicated. The, the message that he gives is not one that's, that's of complication. He says, hey, just build my house. Well, I feel guilty, God. I've, I've not had you in first priority, and, and, and I'm a horrible person. Just go build my house. Well, I don't, have the, I don't have the material. I don't have the stuff. Go up to the mountains. Bring down the timber. Go to great lengths if you have to. Go get what you need to build my house. Pastor Brady, what are you talking about in my everyday life? Friends, God is longing to have a relationship with you. God is longing for you to have intimacy with Him. And it takes an investment. How is our prayer life? Do do I just pray before I eat and it's as quick as possible so I can dive into my food? Do I just pray before I go to bed because I heard somewhere that I want you to keep my soul safe in the night in case I die? Do I ever spend time seeking out and talking to God? Do I ever spend time in His Word? Do I ever spend time worshiping Him when Pastor Edgar's not present? Do I ever worship God at work? His glory is all throughout the earth, we sung of today. Well, it's in here, but it's, it's all throughout the earth. Can, can you praise God in the midst of a terrible situation? Where, God, where is my relationship with you? Where is that temple? Where is my heart cry to you? In the New Testament, it talks about those who honored God with their lips, but their hearts were far from Him. God is calling us to take a good, hard look at our life. And the instructions He gave was, go build the temple, go to great lengths, go climb the mountain, go bring down the things that you need to build that relationship. Well, that sounds like work. Yeah? Well, that's legalism. No? Legalism says, well, I do it, and then I earn it. I earn my keep. No, God says, invest in it. 
Let it become a discipline before it comes a joy. We'll talk about some ways to do that in a moment. God tells us it's time to put Him first, to live for Him first. Then in verse 9 through 11, God begins to speak what I call a smackdown. It's the Lord's smackdown. I guess in the King James it would be, Thus saith the Lord, His smacketh downeth. You say, my Bible doesn't say that. Well, you bring it to me and I'll fix it. (laughs) Listen to the Lord's smackdown. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house, which remains in ruin, while each of you was busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their due. And the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and on the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produced, on men and cattle, on the labor of your hands. God says, you expected it would be okay to take me out of number one. But it's not okay. You brought home something so little, and I just blew it away. Is this because God is broke and He needs your money? Is this because God doesn't have time and He needs your man hours? No. But God doesn't take leftovers. I mean, there's some food that's good leftover, but I don't like a lot of leftover foods. Apparently, God doesn't like any leftovers. He wants your first fruits. He wants your heart. He wants your life. You say, oh, Pastor, you're talking about tithing. Yes, and way more. Oh, I knew this was about money. Oh, no. This is about something so much more valuable than your money. If talking about money makes you mad, then you're going to get angry. Because this is about, like, you. God wants you. And so whatever you think you have, then sure, he wants that. But he wants you. Why? He's a jealous God. He says, I want to have intimacy with you. Come back to me. Let me be number one in your life. And, oh, church... This message today brings hope to those who don't know God, for sure. But this is to us who claim to know Him. This is for us who have, who have definitely heard from Him and who have obeyed in the past and we've had good priorities, but things have slipped in and we've become a little bit distracted, a little bit discouraged, a little bit deluded and even defeated at times. And, and God says, it's time to come back. Now, now the heart of the Lord's smackdown here is, is not real popular. He basically says, you will not prosper in any way while you're living for yourself. Verse 10, therefore, because you, because of you, the heavens have withheld their due on the earth's crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, whatever the ground produces, on men and cattle, on the labor of your hands. I'm not making a political statement today. I'm not trying to come up with a theological position today. That's what God's Word says. It says that if I am not keeping God first, He will not bless me while I am living for myself. If I don't have God's blessing, I'm living for myself. Well, Pastor Brady, I've met some people who I don't believe are living for God, and they appear to be really, really blessed, like with more than I have. And this may be so. You see, the blessing is not something that you calculate on your calculator and and how many zeros are in your bank account. 
And don't misunderstand me today. I'm not saying that when you obey God, then he will give you all the money you've ever hoped for. He'll give you all the favor, and you'll never have anyone disagree with you. In fact, I think it's the opposite. If you're living for God, people are going to be ticked off at you at times. And if no one is ticked off at you, then maybe you need to go back and take a good hard look at your life. But that's another message. You say, well, what is this thing about blessing? God has created you. He has wired you in such a way, and his blessing for you is more than stuff. It's more than money. It's more than title. It's more than authority. He has so much for you, and he's cut it off if we live for ourselves, You may be able to have the, the frame, the paneling on the outside, the siding. You may have the roof on in your temple of God. People see you doing the religious things on the outside, and, and you may have some success on the outside of your life, but on the inside, it's an empty shell. Uh, I don't have to talk to you much about that. You already know what that feels like at times. Most of us have been there at one point or another when, when we have neglected our own temple, the worship with the Lord, the intimacy with the Lord, and it's like a hollow desert. And God says, don't live for your own agenda. That's good preaching. I don't care who you are. You need to get excited about that. (laughs) And the people give a response. I love their response. Verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, son of Hubba Bubba Bubblicious. (laughs) Seeing if you're listening. Son of Shiltel, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. All of them obeyed the Lord. That is not what I expected to read the first time I read that. God just smacked them. And they said, you're right. We submit. We will obey the whole remnant. God help us. Our culture's response to a word like this is whining. Oh, but that sounds hard. If I would put God first, then people would laugh at me. If I would make decisions about seeking God above my career and above the paycheck and above getting into that school I want to get into and above that relationship, and then, then I, it may cost me something. We begin to whine, and whining quickly turns into excuses. Well, but God, I'm not whining. I just, you know, look at, look, at, look at the whole lot here. I've got reason to not really pour into my relationship with you right now. I've got reason not to build the temple of intimacy with you right now. I don't understand some things. And because of my lack of understanding, I can't do anything. Now, I want you to hear this. I believe one major trap of the enemy that he puts out there, and I want to paint it in neon color so you can see it is this idea that you have to understand everything about God before you can have intimacy with God. Now, what a beautiful trap of the enemy. Who in here knows everything about God? No one. If we think I have to understand everything about God before I can enter into intimate worship with God, to have communion with Him, to to have a deeper relationship with Him, then we will never do it. And that's why the enemy gives us that trap. And one excuse we say is, well, God, you call me to this level of obedience, but I don't understand why. And? What does it have to do with obeying? What does it have to do with intimacy with Him? What does it have to do with the, the worship sanctuary of your life? God says... Oh, I want to help you understand 
but just obey. And they could have whined, they could have made excuses, or this is my favorite. They could have got offended. How dare you, God? We already started building the temple. We're only man, we're only woman, and it takes us a long time. But they didn't. They obeyed. They really listened to God, and they took his reprimand, and they obeyed, and then God does something in a minute. But let's stop and just pause there. Are are you really listening to God this morning? Are you hearing his call to reorder your priorities? So, Pastor Brady, how will I know if I'm doing that? God may be putting his finger on a particular area of your life. And I I hesitate to to get real specific because I want to tell you, God has not told me what your priority issue is. He's not told me for you specifically. But I know in a room this size that often the enemy gets us trapped up in priorities that we begin to make deals with God. We begin to say, God, if I will will just put in this effort at work, it, it it will get me through in this period. And so if you will just take care of my family, and if you will just take care of my relationship with you, and and then once I get through this hump, then we'll be good. Friends, God says no. Uh, That wasn't fun, but it's what we need. Some of us in a room this size, my guess would be is that we have made an idol out of our family. Well, I, I gotta have the kids have every experience known to man, and they gotta be a part of dance and soccer and football and baseball and basketball and, and hockey and, and, uh, uh, cricket, whatever this game is, I don't know. And we gotta have them be a part of every team, and, and they gotta have all these experiences, and, and, and really? Well, what if I, sorry guys, we're worshiping God today. What more experience do our kids need to see, than to see mom and dad put a priority on worshiping God? I'm not trying to be illegalistic. I'm not trying to tell you you can't do God's work on his day. And if God is working through you somehow, you figure that out with him. Don't let the enemy sow weeds in that. This is not about you being legalistic on Sunday. This is about you giving an honest look at what priorities, what gets your attention, what gets your time, what gets your money, what gets your energy. How much energy do I Give to the ignorance of the Denver Broncos secondary defense. I will shout. I will scream. I will get my daughter to do the same. It will aggravate the whole house. Soon my dog is mad about it. And it's over. It's done. Thanks a lot, Indianapolis, for Peyton Manning. But has my family ever seen me engage in anything with passion like that? I'm not making a case for noise. If you can watch football like this, then you worship like this. I don't care. It's how God made you. I've got a sermon to preach in here somewhere. I don't know where we are. (laughs) People's response. They responded in obedience. And here's what God said. Look at verse 13. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the message of the Lord to the people in verse 13 through 15. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtel, governor of Judah, and stirred up Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. He stirred them up. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. See, there, there's some of us who say, I, I want to get my priorities right. I want to want to. 
but I don't want to. I want to have a passion for God like that. I really want to want to, but if I'm honest, I don't really want to. I know I should, but I don't. You know what the solution is? I love this. Obey. You don't have much passion for God? You feel dry and crusty? Just say, God, give me some radical obedience. What do you want me to do? I don't feel you, God. I don't see you, God. Doesn't matter. Teach me to obey. And when you obey, He stirs up your spirit. He gives you the passion to be about what He's about. It's not always emotion. Sometimes it's devotion. You're so devoted beyond your emotion. You're exhausted. You're afraid. But you are committed. Why? Because you're so good and you just grin and bear it? No, because the Lord stirred up your spirit. Sometimes He gives you a still calm to stand in the face of a storm when others would crumble around. But God has stirred up your spirit because you've obeyed and He's put something in you. He has become number one and everything else falls into place. God promised them, I will never leave you. Promise them, it's not in your own strength that you reorder your priorities. It's not that you have to figure out this jam that you've made of your life. Obey me and I will help you. Obey me, put me first, and everything else will come. That sounds like something else we've read. Seek first the kingdom of God and all other things shall be added unto you. This book begins to talk about itself. It begins to make some sense. This is, as we hear this, I believe I wouldn't be a good friend and I definitely wouldn't be a good pastor if I didn't give us an opportunity to respond to maybe what God's saying in our heart. So as Pastor Edgar comes and he's going to play whatever's on, on his mind, I want to ask you these questions. Where are you today? Are you delaying? God says, build the temple. Rebuild the relationship with me. Bring back the new again. Bring back the intimacy and relationship. God, it's not a good time. School is so hard right now. It's so busy. The demands are so thick right now. It's not a good time, God. The kids are at a stage where it takes extra stuff from me, God, so I cannot lay on my face before you in prayer. I cannot seek you in the Word. I cannot seek you in service. I cannot seek you in worship, God. Are you delaying? God says, why would you build your own house and panel it and live in luxury? Hardwire your life with surround sound and all the creature comforts of things that we want to have. And and I'm not saying you shouldn't enjoy life. I'm not saying you should never have fun, but have God first. And all these things are added. Where are you at today? Maybe can you hear God's instruction? Some of you stopped listening at the smackdown because God was speaking to you about some things, calling you to put Him first. Maybe you've been living for yourself for too long, or it slipped back in. You started out, sold out. question today is, how, how are you and I going to respond? We can ignore it. Good talk, Pastor. Good talk. We can ignore what God's saying to us. If, if, if you haven't heard me say it, let me, let me help you out. It doesn't really matter what I say, okay? 
If you like what I say, good. If you don't like what I say, I love you too. But it's not about what I say. It's about what God is saying to you. And my job is to hopefully get out of the way enough that God can say to you what he wants to say. So what God has said to you today, are you ignoring it? Or are you whining about it? Will you, will you reject it? Or will you obey today? So in just a moment, I want to open up these altars. This is a place that we pray. It's not the only place. My fear is that sometimes we've made places like this be synonymous with somebody who has done something dreadfully horrible. And if you've done something dreadfully horrible, this is a great place to pray. But when did we stop seeking God as as, as people who are holy and and sold out to Him? When did we get to the place where we say, God, I don't need any kind of instruction from you. I'm sanctified. We're done. Just hanging out until I die. Maybe God says... Maybe I've got new life for you in 2013. Maybe I want to call you back to something. If God's speaking to you today, you'll know what it is. It's like a neon sign flashing in your mind, and you just can't wait till I be quiet so you can talk to God about it. I want you to stand with me. Close your eyes and bow your head. If that freaks you out, just stare at your shoes. My heart is just for us to focus on God, whatever helps you do that. As we sing this song, I want to invite you to respond to God. Maybe your hands lifted high in worship, a sign of surrender. If God's put his finger in your back, I want to invite you. You need to come down and come pray. Stand up, step out, put feet to your faith at what God's calling you to do. He will help you. He won't leave you. What will people think of me? They'll probably think you're obeying God. They'll probably think you're making the best decision of your life. As we sing, you mind God, however he's speaking to you.